This is Stacy Eldridge. Welcome to Captivated. This world vies for our attention in a thousand different ways. But the most important thing, the preeminent thing, the essential thing, is to give our attention to Jesus. Welcome, friends. I am so glad you are joining me today, wherever you are. I pray blessing and favor and joy and love to you. I pray for more revelation, even in these next hours, of the personal, intimate, and fierce love of Jesus for you. I want to begin our time together by reading a quote from N.T. Wright. He says, If you want to know who God is, look at Jesus. If you want to know what it means to be human, look at Jesus. If you want to know what love is, look at Jesus. If you want to know what grief is, look at Jesus. And go on looking until you're not just a spectator, but you're actually part of the drama which has him as the central character. I love that. And I also so love, wonderful. isn't that so good? Mm-hmm. Joining me today is a wonderful woman with a deep heart that I am honored to call my friend, Becky Allender. Mm-hmm. Welcome, Becky. Oh, it's so good to be with you, Stacy. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, it's so good to be with you. I'm going to read a little bit of your bio just for those that may not be familiar with you. Becky is the co-founder of the Allender Center at the Seattle School where she directs intercession for the narrative-focused trauma care program. She also leads groups for story workshops and co-leads marriage retreats with her husband, Dan. Becky's the author of Hidden in Plain Sight, One Woman's Search for Identity, Intimacy, and Calling. And she's been a regular contributor to Red Tent Living since 2013. Wow, how the time rolls by. Boy, it sure does. She's a mother and a grandmother, and she will tell you that she is quite fond of sunshine, gardening, Hawaiian quilting, and creating 17th century reproduction samplers. She is a purveyor, a curator of beauty, a community of praying women, loving Jesus, and the art of gratitude fill her life with goodness. I love that, Becky. Thank you, Stacy. There's so much there. And actually, we could talk about so many things today. But where I'd like to spend our time in this podcast is in the topic of story. You lead Great. story. Yeah, you lead story workshops. And I just I just love to hear more about that. Like let's start um, with what is the importance of story? Right. Well, story, well, first of all, the Bible is 70% story. Mm. And um, it's how our brain is wired to think. We think in stories. We just don't think, you know, words. They come together in stories. And we don't remember the facts as much as remember the story. Wow. And so, yeah, story is how we live and embodied on planet earth. 
wow, I think about Jesus and how he told stories. Yes. And you're 70% yeah. of the Bible. That's And that's really encouraging because it doesn't read like a math book. Yes, thankfully. Yeah. <laughs> and we learn so much from stories. Becky, how did you get into story work? Well, I got into story work because my husband has always been talking about story, I think, since... I've met him. And especially after a couple of graduate degrees, he, he just talked about story. And I would go to some of his conferences, usually one each year, and he was always sharing his story. This went on, I don't know, 25, 30 years. And I was... I'm going to just interrupt you right there. You said he was okay. always sharing his story. What, what do you... What oh, was he sharing? Okay. okay yes. I would go to my husband's conference, usually one each year, and he would talk about himself, how he came to know Christ, how his family was, and how his friend Trimper in eighth grade, because of a comb that he was asking Dan to use, which was a trigger for Dan because he had very curly hair. Um, and then he would go further about how their connection, uh, Tremper was a Christian, therefore Dan became a Christian. So, so much about how Dan would instruct others was through the brokenness and the goodness of his story. Mm. And I kind of got tired of listening to his story. Yeah. And I had the culmination of a cry of my heart, actually, Stacy, at Captivating Advanced. And as your team were taking turns sharing a bit about their stories, about their heartache, about their struggle, I seriously felt my heart hurt my mm. chest. Mm. It was a cry where tears came and I said to Jesus, when, when am I going to be able to tell my story? Mm. And the truth of the matter was, I didn't know my story. <laughs> It was so, you know, I didn't know how to grab the important parts of my story to see how God had been protecting and leading me throughout my life. And so I think it was being the intercessor through the story workshops and the narrative focused trauma care that I saw other people come in the first week long weekend and the fourth leave a different way and wow. i said i can i step away from being an intercessor i would like to go through the training i want care for me oh that's so good is that what led you to writing your book hidden in plain sight you know it was before that oh um, okay the lord had led me to work on the streets in Seattle with the teenage prostituted women. And I would leave on the eight o'clock ferry and we would be on the streets after praying for an hour before we got to the streets at nine until 2.30 in the morning. Wow. And there were a team of us. I was the only grandmother out there, um, but I was with two African-American women who had been in the trade and their authority on the streets and power of their trust in Jesus is the umbrella that allowed me to walk into such an unusual year every Friday 
night. And I felt Jesus say to me, it's important that the church hears what goes on when they're sleeping. Oh, And so I uh, would get home on the 1030 ferry. Dan would pick me up, which was a new experience. I was always used to picking him up and he would have already gotten groceries and I would go home and get in my pajamas and I would write all day Saturday. You would write? A, for a blog that I had um, Friday night light, something <gasps> like that. I don't remember the blog, but it was through that that I was in obedience to Jesus, uh, that his call was for me to be about that. And it's also during that time, I came to love all of those women and only twice did we have to pack up and leave because of violence with the pimps or mm. violence on the streets. So I think that was also like, why am I drawn to that? And certainly I had a story of sexual brokenness in my story that allowed me to say, I wanted to be a witness to their lives because we are all so much alike. Those women had children and showed me pictures of their children. Oh, wow. Those women had dads who would take their children to look at Christmas lights. And it was so clear that the only reason why I was able to go home on a Saturday morning, I actually slept with my daughter and her, her newborn baby and husband across the street, because there's no fairies that run from two to right. four. And so I, I had all this was laid out. It was because of that blog. And then Red Tent Living, uh, Tracy Johnson said, hey, I'm starting this new ministry. So I went to her. I said, I've got my checkbook. What should I write it out to? And she said, I don't want your money. I want you to write a monthly blog. And and that's how it all came about. I I I love writing and I found grace in the writing. And so someone came to me and said, hey, this is what I do. I take take people's blogs and I find a theme and then I put it together. I'm the editor. And then, yeah, it fell in my lap. Like Jesus wow. just gave it to me. Wow. Yeah. So and then Dan had a new personal assistant who her for the last 25 years, she had been she had been helping people write books. So it's like Jesus just said. Do it. Do it now. And yeah. was that, uh, so a catalyst that I'm hearing was doing your work with the women on the streets to, to realize and captivate your own heart, to look at your own story, engage yeah. with it. Right. And then right. to I, share it because you wanted to share their stories. Yes. Of course, never with their words, um, their names, you know, but yeah, yes, it was in the exercise of writing that, um, allowed me to go back and look at my own story wow. as well. So as you've engaged and looked at your own story, the story of your life, has that changed um, your experience of living? Or, or what have you come to know or understand about yourself through that? Right. Good question. Well, it was um, when I stepped away from the intercession team and signed up for narrative focused trauma care, the first level, you write a story about 800 words and you write it and then you read it out loud and to a group of seven other people. And then 
they reflect back to you the very words you said, but yet they see in a way that I didn't have eyes to see. Mm. The care for a facilitator who had been trained in story work allowed me to see the, the brokenness and the lack of attunement and, and how tough I had to be to um, live in my family. And so I think I was able to receive care for, I used to get car sick. <laughs> my parents smoked. It was in the era that that was the case. And rather than throw up, I couldn't say I'm going to throw up. I would sometimes just swallow it. Oh. I mean, that's just one small picture of the rigidity and the lack of voice I had had to say a three or four or five-year-old. I didn't have the agency to say, I'm feeling sick because that would create a commotion. And a lot of, I would normally find a, a closet to play in because then I'd be out of my mother's way. Wow. And so, of course, she had her own story, but I um, tended to look at my story through the help of uh, facilitators that um, allowed me to feel the sorrow, uh -huh. but also feel like, you know, Jesus was really there. He was mm. there in the closets mm. as I was playing. Um, he was there in the back seat of the car. I was too oh. um, weak to be able to turn those crank handles in a two car sedan in the 1950s. Uh -huh. uh, and um, I really felt a lot of care, not only from the group, but from Jesus. And I think that allowed me to, well, certainly in the long run, it allowed me to love my parents so much more. Wow. But that's kind of another story. But that's just the empathy that came out of it through your journey. Yes. Yes. Um, I think it's so, it's so valuable to honor the story of your life by not diminishing it, looking yeah. at it, and then being able to share it with trusted, safe people yes. who can reflect back what they see. Yes. I have a similar and, thing. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, okay. Go ahead. I have this um, similar thing. I was, gosh, now almost 30 years ago, the first time that I, in a small group, shared the story of my life. Mm -hmm. And and what is normal to us, or we just didn't put power or weight to it, is to have people go, wait, what? Is yes. really validating. And I did this one trip. I was raised in the first 10 years in Prairie Village, Kansas. And I went back because I wanted to see the house mm. that I had grown up in. And I was praying, God, show me where you were. I just, like you said, he was with you. I know you were with me, but can you just show me? So I drove mm. by the house and the new people that lived there had a lion statue on their front porch. Oh, <laughs> I know. I go, there you are. You were there. I needed something visible. I know there's not lion statues in all of our growing up houses, but that was something for me. Okay. I want to come yeah. back to something that you said. Um, what do you mean by lack of attunement? Yes. I think um, what we know, we know so much more about the brain than we did before, just with all the imaging, but just the idea of a mother being attuned to a child. You're, you're aware of the child's needs, like, oh, maybe she's 
going to need to go to the bathroom before we get in the car ah. or look, she seems a little sad and it's after school. Hey, honey, how was your day? Mm. It's that one-on-one -on -one awareness of the other. And they say that um, for a mom to be a good mom, actually 50% attunement is good enough. As you know, if you're a mother, you've got multiple children, you have a baby in the crib, you cannot be there 100% of the time. Yeah. But just that 50% is really good enough. So I think it's caused me to be more attuned to my grandchildren than I was to my own children. Mm. Because let's be serious. Life is fast and furious. And yes. there's always so many things that need to be tended to. Yes. So I've learned to actually push those things away and be more attuned to, well, really, whoever I'm speaking with. Mm. Yeah, you are a very present woman. So in your own life, uh, you were sharing, was your mom offering you the 50%? You know, she wasn't. Mm. Um, she wasn't. She was sewing all the bedspreads, all the draperies, all the clothing. And um, she was in every club you could imagine. And she, as that generation has been called, the greatest generation, they were very civic minded. She was uh. always, and she was very, very, very involved in the church. And they were very active in social, like symphony clubs, bridge clubs, you know, Buckeye Boys Ranch, which is now for girls as well, orphanages. And, you know, she was doing all these great things, but she was worn out. Ah, uh, when it came um, to you and your, yes, and your siblings. Yes. Yeah. I mean, the, the closet playing was because mm. I knew I wouldn't be, you know, in her way. Oh. And so, of course, I loved being outside, too, because anything could set her off. And, and, and I think what I always did, I was excuse my parents for their stories of being children in the Great Depression, of going to war so soon. So, therefore, this story work that I did through the Allender Center and the training I got allowed me just to focus on me, which seemed quite extravagant. Yes. And, and hearing other people's stories, you're like, oh, me too. Not that you have mm. to say that to them, but you're yeah. like, oh, it, it normalizes a lot of the sorrows that just being human um, has a toll on us for. It helps you, it validates your own life experience, doesn't it? That's the perfect sentence. Yes. Thank you. Mm. And I think for me, it helped me understand why I was making choices I was making, maybe even doing things I didn't want to be doing. Like there was, there was a yes. story there. Yes. Yes. Um, my father was a bipolar, not, um, that wasn't diagnosed at that time. Uh -huh. I think it was manic depressive, but so I was very attuned to my father who was either full of fun and life and a lot of danger, like sailing, motorcycling, and his care and his delight in me. So I ended up in a, an abusive high school relationship mm. with a peer new to the city, new to our school, who was bipolar. Oh, wow. Of course, I was used to that, right? Yes. And then, and then he was also, you know, there's a high, there's a goodness. So that 
that story of my father, my own, you know, in the living room, the fun we had, even dancing silly in costumes where my mother was working and always doing so much better. It sort of triangulated me with my dad, where I had to be careful even to tamp myself down in the presence of my mother. So it was just tricky kind of getting around uh, in that family. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yes. What about, um, we have, we have all that. We all come in, we've got our experiences and they're, they're weighty and they affect us and we do want to honor them and validate them. But sometimes it takes years before we have the ability to do that. And I know that when I got married, I, I didn't know anything about my, what had impacted me or just look at anything of my own life. I didn't. What about in your marriage? Did, did it come out? Did You know, it's, it's just coming out even more and more now that we're more in tune to one another's childhood stories. Ah. Yes, it certainly, I, I had a dad that was quirky, you know, kind of funny and, and quite talkative. Uh, and so therefore that drew me to Dan. I mean, there's, you know, he's just unusual sometimes, but like his, his clutter drives me crazy. Mm -hmm. And, but you know, most of his, our beginning years of being married, he was either in school or traveling. And uh. see, I had learned to never ask for help. If I'm not going to ask, you know, for my family to help me roll down a window, right? I'm not going to, I'm like, I'm a ninja of learning how never to ask for help. And so that worked well for our marriage for a while. I mean, I was self-sufficient. I wasn't bothering Dan and had a mother who was always needing him in every way. And the last thing he wanted was to marry a woman who was very needy for his care because he was on his, he was caring for his mom in some regard until the day she died because of her mental illness. And again, you don't know that when you're first married, we didn't really quite, this is just life. It's normalized, but but now I also, there's a story that gives a picture of how I would not ask for help. As a four-year-old with my older sister, who was five, six, seven, we were waiting for my mother to pick us up after swimming lessons. And there was monkey bars, a little playground. And first of all, that's kind of young to be left alone. Four. But I'm sure she was doing busy things for wow. some club work. But I thought, I'm going to do the the monkey bars and I'm just going to go across the monkey bars, tough little four-year-old. Um, and I make it halfway yes. and I hang and I hang and I, you, you see, I've already lost my ability to cry for help. Oh, at four. I would. And yes. And when I had a four-year-old, I thought of that story. I'm like, wow. But anyways, I hung and I hung and I hung. And finally two mothers who I didn't know came and, both of them had to pry my fingers wow. off of the monkey bars. Wow. And so that is my commitment to never bothering my mother, wow. never asking for help. So as Dan and I are married, it's working for him. I'm on my own, not asking much of him and, and he's not having to tend to me, but there have been times like recently, just, I mean, it's so wonderful with story work. 
it keeps allowing you to see more like, oh, of course, but mm. I needed help on my computer. Obviously, it's taken me quite a long time to get the, the, the nerve up to even ask for help. Um, and he doesn't like being bothered. He doesn't, you know, that's his needy mother who always needed him. So we collide in that situation without even understanding, oh, well, wait here. That's, that's my story and his story. We're really knocking heads. And now we're so much more aware of, oh, Becky, you really do need help. And this is repentance for you, Becky, to ask for help. Wow. And therefore, Dan is more like, for him, repentance is stopping and helping, not in a way that he always had to do with his mother, but realizing, hey, this is the girl who couldn't fall from the monkey bars, mm -hmm. you know, superhuman power. Here she is asking for help. I, I really need to honor that. Mm. So, mm. and so, yeah, I think the two of us are learning to love and care for one another even more than we did a year ago through the lens of our childhood stories and how that has crafted who we are. <sighs> that is so beautiful. It's really fun and exciting. I'm really hearing in, inside as you're speaking the word mercy. It is, mm. helps you have mercy on your own. But the importance yes. as well for you to know the story of the one you're closest to. Yes. I mean, Dan, um, during the pandemic and even after, like this might have been six months ago, he would start getting worried about food. Like if we had enough food in the refrigerator uh -huh. and I am, um, you know, I would open the refrigerators. This is for tonight. It's for tomorrow. You know, it's okay. But then I thought of, I said, Dan, did you ever go to the grocery store with your mom? And it opened up a whole dialogue of his experience and his mother did not cook. And what she did cook was horrific. And so I, it allowed me to have tenderness for him looking at the refrigerator because he had food insecurity. Yes. He was experienced something new, but I was curious and merciful to, hey, 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 whoa, what's going on here? Wow. We've been married a long time and this didn't used to happen. Yeah. So it's just really highlighted the mercy and the care that Jesus gives us. But what we can give to one another. Oh, that's so good. And I think we'll do another podcast just on our own personal stories with food because that's huge. But yes. I want I want a chef to ask you another question because it's so rich. What have you come to know or learn about Jesus more deeply through engaging your own story? Yes, yes. Um just the tenderness of Jesus. He, well, I love this verse and I, I think of it almost every morning and it's Psalm 139 verse 17 and 18. And I have, I like it from the new living version and it's how precious are your thoughts about me? Oh God, they are innumerable. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up in the morning, you are still with me. Now we've had grandchildren living with us, granddaughters, and sometimes 
they hop on our bed while I'm still asleep. And to open my eyes and see either Grace or Parker, you know, just waiting, just waiting for me to wake up. I think, <laughs> I think that's Jesus. He's like waiting. He loves us. He's so precious. And to think of his thoughts outnumber the grains of sand, that blows my mind. I just can't even imagine. And I think he is like so in love with us mm. and so wanting us to abide in him and live as he has shown us the right way to do so much of living. So I I feel closer to God and I I feel his mercy more and feel his forgiveness more as mm. I fail. I feel like he's not going to quit waiting for me to wake up because his thoughts for me are more than every grain of sand. And that is mind boggling, but yet needs to be recognized so often throughout our days. Mm, mm, that is so beautiful. Becky, you're talking to some people right now who this concept, this idea may feel overwhelming or brand new. Okay. What, what would you say to them? What would you like to say to them? Yes. Well, first I want to say there are some valid um, university studies that have talked about just writing your story. Um, Dr. Pennebaker was a social psychologist in 1997 at the University of Texas in Austin. And he had three different groups. One group would write uh, 20 minutes about something important to them. The other one, not so important. The other one, you know, like bad. But the ones who wrote of something important, and, and they weren't even read out loud, but that group had less illnesses wow. going to the clinic. And so actually our body, when we are writing, when we are slowing down, our body releases these chemicals of, of care. Because when you write a story and when you take time to think of the weather, the ground, the wallpaper, whatever it may be, you are able to slow down. And then just the writing, you don't even have to speak it. But so what I liked about Red Tent Living, it just gave me a word that allowed me to, it's like a jigsaw puzzle. Okay, I'm going to take this word or phrase and I'm going to write. So it was nothing that I understood what was going to come from it, but just write a childhood story, make it maybe 800 words, reread it. And, and then that's why I like story work where you have someone who's been trained to hear what is said between the lines, mm. but using your own words and that sense of someone seeing just because we've talked about this, a little girl playing in her closet allows that care, that attunement, that mercy, where you can say, oh, oh yeah, I guess that wasn't normal. Wow. Other people got to, other children played in the living room, or maybe they played <laughs> in their bedrooms, you know? And so I, I think it opens up what's was normalized in your life and allows you to expand to where um, Jesus can really still tend to those places in your heart that mm. need healing. Mm. 
Mm, it's so good. So how, how should they begin? Should they begin just with a a journal or? Well, I think, yeah, if you journal, journal a story, take some time thinking about how old were you? What clothes did you wear? What was the smell of your house? You know what I mean? Just get into the very fabric, which that is probably just so unusual to even do, to take yeah. that extravagant time to really put yourself in as in the dirt of the story. And then, you know, write a story. And maybe you have a friend that you say, hey, I want to try just this one story. It came to me. I think Jesus wants more out of this. Would you allow me to read it to you? So I don't even think you need trained people. It certainly helps to have trained people and helps to have a group. For me, a group process was so fabulous. But one-on-one -on -one with a friend and then say, oh, why don't you write a story for me? And just that care, because we all still need care, even to go back and retrieve that young six-year-old or that 10-year-old or the 18-year-old or, hey, the 71-year-old, mm, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. we just need care. And you know, the body of Christ can do that quite well, mm. a good friend. I'm so moved by what you're saying. I'm noticing a lot of emotion just rising in me mm. Mm. and um, just the, the power of that, the honor of it, the goodness of it. Um, Becky, would you pray for our listeners as we close out our time together? Oh, would you do that for us? I would love to. Oh, Thank great. you. Yes. Heavenly Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, thank you that you are with us and in us and all around us. Mm. I pray for the listeners who are curious or who know right away a story they need to write and have tended to, not only by themselves, but maybe by a friend. I pray that it doesn't seem hard. I pray that it actually seems quite fun because in your mind, as you slow down to write these words, you are an amazing author. Mm. Your words that you put together are stunningly beautiful and correct. So I pray that it's not a, anything but a joy to find a space and time where you can write where you can read back to yourself, where you feel Jesus's mercy, and where you ask a friend or someone to listen. And may that person have um, the heart of Jesus as they listen. And with their curiosity, may they not give advice. May they just see that little girl or that little boy who needed care that didn't get care but getting care now through story actually changes your brain. It changes your biochemicals because that's what God does. He changes us and allows us to be more like him and more loved by him. Amen. Oh, amen. Thank you, Becky. Stacy, this was so much fun. Thank you for having me on. What a privilege. What a privilege. Oh, I'm grateful. For me and bless you, dear ones who are listening.
um, yes to that prayer. Remember that you, you are captivating to your king. May you sense his deep love and care for you and your bones today. I'm praying for you all in love. So until next time, grace and peace to you. Hi, everyone. This is Stacy Burton, the producer of the Captivated Podcast. If you've been a regular listener, you've heard the encouraging teachings offered and the incredible conversations Stacy has had with her guests. So wherever you listen, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. May you be filled with the goodness of his love today, and we look forward to having you join us next time. Thank you.